Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. Hello and welcome to Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'm your host, Carly Florison. I'm a writer, a storyteller, and yes, just a bit of a history nerd. I'm really stoked to hear that people have been enjoying the previous episodes and thank you so much to those who've gotten in touch and given me some feedback. It's really wonderful to hear from you and to to hear that you've been enjoying those past episodes. Um, so if you haven't listened to them yet, you can go back and catch up on the previous episodes that I've done. Today's episode is another really interesting one that I think you're, you're going to enjoy. This is a fairly recent story in our history. This happened 30 years ago when Western Australia had one of its worst ecological disasters. A bulk carrier called the Sanko Harvest hit a reef off the coast of Esperance on the, on the south coast. How did this happen and what was the result? Well, let's get into the story. But before we do that, as usual, I would just like to pay my respects to the First Nations people of Western Australia, and in particular, the Noongar people of the Esperance area, which is where this story takes place and also where I'm recording today. The First Nations people of this land have a connection to Western Australia that goes back tens of thousands of years, and I'd just like to pay my respects to them today and to acknowledge their leaders past, present and emerging. So this is the story of the Sanko Harvest. As I mentioned already, this is one of Western Australia's worst ecological disasters. On the 14th of February 1991, a bulk carrier ship called the Sanko Harvest was heading towards Esperance, fully loaded with 30,000 tonnes of fertiliser, worth $10.5 million. The ship also had 570 tonnes of bunker fuel on board and 74 tonnes of diesel fuel on board. The Japanese-owned ship was travelling from Tampa, Florida, via the Panama Canal to Esperance and then on to Quinana and Geraldton. And in the early hours of the morning, the ship's crew made a fateful decision. They took a course through the Recherche Archipelago in between some islands. Now, we've already talked briefly about the Recherche Archipelago in the episode about, about Black Jack Anderson, but just in case you haven't heard it already, here's a bit of detail on the Recherche Archipelago. There are about 105 islands in the archipelago and more than a 1,000 rocks, bommies, submerged reefs and ominously named obstacles to shipping. The Recherche Archipelago was named after one of two French ships that arrived in the area in 1792. We're going to do an episode on these ships sometime soon, but suffice for now to say that one of these ships was named the Esperance and the other was called the Recherche. The captain of the Recherche, Antoine Bruni d'Entrecasteaux, was leading the expedition and after a storm blew up, d'Entrecasteaux sheltered in the Esperance Bay from the storm and he named Esperance after one of the ships and the Recherche Archipelago after the other ship. Now, anyone who knows the Recherche Archipelago knows that it's a stunningly beautiful place. No, really, I mean, I live here and I'm probably a little bit biased, but it is absolutely stunning. If you haven't been here before, you should absolutely visit this area. But even though it's beautiful, the Recherche Archipelago is a hazardous place for shipping. Ever since ships started coming to this area, they would give the, the archipelago a wide berth, wide berth. But a few things all converged that night for the Sanko Harvest. The ship's master was a Korean national called Captain In Hyon Kim. This trip was Captain Kim's first command of a ship, and it was also the first time that he had visited the Esperance area. 
Alongside Captain Kim, there were 20 other crew members on the ship. Now, the usual shipping route to Esperance is via a safe fairway that is known as the Causeway that goes out and around the main group of islands. But the Sanko harvest had been delayed by headwinds, and likely because of this, they decided to try to find a shorter route to try and make up time. The second officer plotted the course that day for the Sanko harvest to take, and he might not have had good enough command of English to understand the warnings on the charts. In saying that, Captain Kim did approve the route that the ship took, and his English was absolutely adequate. He understood the warnings, but he didn't pay them enough enough attention. So the route that they chose went in between Hastings Island and Hood Island, and this area was marked as unsurveyed on the map. The the Sanko Harvest didn't have the most up-to-date charts on board, but the charts that they did have absolutely had warnings on them. The charts warned against travelling through the archipelago and warned that the area was not properly surveyed and that passage should not be attempted at night or by vessels without local knowledge. But for whatever reason, the ship's captain made a decision that they would try this new route, even though it was night and they didn't have local knowledge. And at 3.20am, 19 nautical miles away from Esperance, south of Cape Lagrande, the Sanko harvest hit a reef. It was February the 14th, 1991. The Sanko harvest radioed the Esperance port and no one was there at that hour of the morning, but at 5am that morning, the Esperance harbour master, Ian Harrod, arrived for work. He checked the telex machine, and there you go, that's a small time capsule of that period of time, and he found on the telex machine a message from the Sanko harvest. We've run aground. And here's an interesting aside. The young harbour master, Ian Harrod, had met a woman the previous night. He was smitten and he planned to spend the afternoon with her after his early morning shift. It was, of course, Valentine's Day. But this incident was definitely going to put a spanner into the works of his plans. So Ian set off for the Sanko Harvest, 19 nautical miles away. Now here, let me just tell you an interesting thing about nautical miles that I've just learnt. Nautical miles, historically, have been defined as the distance that it takes to travel one minute of latitude along any line of longitude on a map. You may have already known that, but I thought it was quite an interesting snippet of information. By 8am that morning, Captain Ian Harrod had arrived at the Sanko Harvest. By this time, the Sanko Harvest was leaking oil and taking in water. There was a big gash in the hull and the ship was stuck on the reef, but initially they still believed that it would be possible to save her. The condition of the ship continued to deteriorate during the day as the swell continued to push it up against the reef. A team from Sydney-based company United Salvage arrived at the ship that night. By the next morning, the ship's holds had flooded and the cargo of fertiliser was being lost into the sea. As I mentioned, initially the salvage team had hoped to refloat the Sanko harvest, but it very quickly became clear that this wouldn't be possible. They notified the ship's owners that technically the ship was in a sunk condition and was only being held up by the reef. The order was given to evacuate the ship before sunset on the 15th of February. And just think about this for a minute. The crew during this time had still been on board. How frightening would it have been to be on the Sanko harvest when it was stuck on a reef and in this um, state of gradually sinking? 
This evacuation was very difficult with rough seas and the movement of the Sanko harvest with the waves. The, the condition of the ship continued to worsen, with both oil and fertiliser being lost into the sea. United Salvage recommended that the remaining oil be unloaded from the ship, but it was not possible to get another ship into the area to load the oil onto because of all the submerged rocks and reefs in the area. The Esperance Harbour began to take steps to clean up the oil that had already spilled, but at this stage it was too late. On the 17th of February, a heavy swell developed of between 3.5 and 4 metres, and that night the Sanko harvest broke up and sank. Here's a quote from Fudd McKenzie of McKenzie's Tug Services. Mr McKenzie said the sound of the Sanko harvest sinking was a noise he would never forget. The ship was awash with seas rolling over it and the air was being squeezed out of the hold of the ship. The ship was screaming, it was dying. It was spine tingling, Mr McKenzie said. It was hard to believe it was just 800 tonnes of oil because the mess was unbelievable. After the Sanko harvest sank, a team from the Esperance Harbour dropped dispersants into the ocean to try and disperse some of the oil that, that had um, leaked from the ship, and they also took out 600 metres of boom, which is a kind of floating barrier, which was rolled out to try and contain the spill. Then the clean-up of the spilled oil started immediately, with calm volunteers travelling out to Seal Rock and Hood Island to remove oil from New Zealand fur seal pups. Huge numbers of local people volunteered to clean up the oil-soaked sand from Esperance's usually pristine beaches, including most of the town's school children. And here is my small personal connection to this story. At the time, I was a nine-year-old attending school in Esperance, and I was one of those school children who went to the beach to collect this oil-soaked sand. And I remember quite clearly walking along the beach um, finding these patches of black soaked sand which we had to scrape up with a shovel and put into buckets. The clean-up extended 30 kilometres east and west of Esperance, with oil reaching as far as Bremer Bay. The oil stained the pure white sand of the Cape Le Grand National Park's beaches black, and 75,000 kilos of oil-soaked sand was removed from Esperance's beaches. The oil pollution affected seals, especially the seal pups, which had to be capture, captured and cleaned individually. It also affected seabirds and, and even kangaroos who stood in the oil while drinking from freshwater creeks in the Cape Le Grand National Park. Oil spilt from the ship after it broke up was also concentrated in the inaccessible Boulder Bay between Hellfire Bay and Thistle Cove, but it spread from Lucky Bay to Buddy's Head. The volunteers had to scrape the oil off the sand by hand. A marine mammal specialist called Dr Nicholas Gales came to Esperance to help direct the rescue operation for seal pups affected by the oil. Dr Gales had studied the effects on sea otters after the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska only two years earlier in 1989. And later on, Dr Gales went on to become the Australian Antarctic Division Director. The volunteers who were involved in the clean-up with the seals were helicoptered out to Hood Island and Seal Rocks, which were the most affected places. They had to catch the seals, clean them five times with detergent and degreaser, and also clean the rocks that were their habitat. An estimated 80% of seal pups were saved, and also not too many of the seabirds were recorded as having died. 
The bill for the cleanup came to $1 million, which was paid by the owners of the Sanko line. This was actually very economical as a lot of the work was done by volunteers and there was a real sense of camaraderie and mission among, among the volunteers from Esperance. The investigation into the disaster found human error to be at fault. There was a lengthy court case, a really lengthy court case. It was, 40, it was a 44-day hearing and this court case found that the ship owners were liable as the crew in charge of the ship were not trained adequately and didn't have up-to-date management systems. The investigation found that Captain Kim's English was adequate and that he understood the warnings, but he didn't pay them enough attention. The route that they chose in between Hastings Island and Hood Island was marked as unsurveyed on the map and they didn't have the most up-to-date charts available on board, but the ones that they, that they did have did have clearly displayed warnings. The Sanko Harvest did not have the most up-to-date charts available on board and the ones that they did have had not been properly updated with the necessary corrections, which could have also contributed to the disaster. The wreck of the Sanko Harvest has now broken into pieces and it lies near the fateful reef, which has been renamed Harvest Reef. It's now a protected area where fishing is prohibited. The Sanko Harvest is now the biggest diveable wreck in Australia, with a length of 174 metres and a width of 27 metres, and it lies at a depth of 20 to 40 metres. It is the second largest diveable wreck in the world, and it's home to a wide range of sea life, including the rare leafy sea dragon. Fish living on and around the wreck include Western Blue Groper, Queen Snapper, Australasian snapper, harlequin fish, Port Jackson sharks, and the western blue devil. Kelp, microalgae, sponges, soft and stony corals, sea tulips, and sea stars also live on the wreck. The wreck is also visited by seals, dolphins, and the occasional humpback whale. So people come from all over the world to dive the Sanko harvest. Captain Kim is now a professor of maritime and marine insurance law in Korea. And neither he nor the first mate faced any charges over this disaster. Fortunately, Esperance's environment has recovered from the disaster and it is still delighting both tourists and locals alike. Another interesting postscript to this story is that in 2019, um, residents in Esperance became aware of a plan by a company called Equinor to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. There was a protest planned More than 500 Esperance locals gathered to protest the proposed drilling in the Great Australian Bight. And once again, I was there on this particular day and I was very proud to see the incredible spirit and turnout among Esperance locals. And during the speeches that were made on that day, several people referenced the Sanko Harvest oil disaster and declared that we would never want, we never want to see oil spilled on Esperance beaches again. There was a paddle out organised as part of this particular protest and a couple of hundred Esperance locals paddled paddled surfboards, small boats, inflatable dinghies, whatever they could find, out into the Esperance Bay as part of this protest and just to show how much we value our Esperance coastline and the beauty of this particular area. More than 50 other communities along the coastline protested the Norwegian company Equinor's plans And fortunately, Equinor abandoned the plans to drill in the Great Australian Bight three months later. And what about the woman that the harbour master, Ian Harrod, had met the night before the Sanko Harvest disaster? 
Well, interestingly, the, the Sanko Harvest disaster didn't put too much of a spanner in the works and later on he married her. And so there you go, that's the story of the Sanko Harvest. Thanks for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed the story. And once again, I'd really love to have your feedback. If you enjoyed this story, if you didn't enjoy it, if you've got suggestions, or if you, even if you'd like to send in a correction, if I've made a mistake, um, please do get in touch with me. Um, as well as that, I'd really love to hear from you if you've got some suggestions for stories that I could cover as um, part of this series on stories from Western Australia's past. You can get in touch with me via my website, and the website is www.wildwapodcast.com and you can find the sources for the information that I've used in this podcast on that same website as well. You can email me at wildwapodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Carly Florison and I'm on Facebook. Just search for Carly Florison Writer. So yes, like I said, please do get in touch. I'd really love to hear some feedback. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you would take a a moment to rate and review the podcast, that would be fantastic. And also subscribe so that you can hear when I've got new episodes coming up. We'll have another episode coming to you very soon. The next episode will be out in time for International Women's Day on the 8th of March, and it will feature one of the incredible women from Western Australia's past. So stay tuned for more. I'm your host, Carly Florison, writer, researcher and storyteller. And there we are. That's all we have today from Wild Stories from Western Australia's Past. I'd just like to give a little shout out to my brother, Micah Florison, who did the music for this episode. Also a shout out to Caitlin Edwards, who did the art for the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today.